Welcome to this week's podcast at Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. You guys may not know this. I got here at 6 o'clock this morning. No lights. No power. And some of you lived that. How many of you lived that? Last night, 11 o'clock, the power went out. A few of you. A few of you did. So I got here at 6 o'clock, and we're like, what are we going to do? And so by 8 o'clock, we're about to send out an email to all of you, canceling the service. And as soon as I said, hey, let's send it, guess what happened? Yeah, the lights turned on. And so for the first two hours of the service this morning, the first two hours of getting ready, it was like stress, heartbeat racing, what's going to happen? And then the lights turn out. So it's perfect. I don't know what I was talking about, but you need to be baptized. Wow. Okay. Hey, today, I think we're starting a new series. We're going to see how far we can get. And this series is called Emotionally Healthy Disciples. Two really important realities. And maybe this is why God's doing this today, because my emotions are just kind of running right on the surface. But Two things are really vital. One is spiritual disciplines. Often within the church, we emphasize, what does it mean to be with Jesus? Well, we need to have scripture. We need to have the spirit of God dwelling within us. We need to have the community of God. We need fasting, solitude, silence. We need all of those disciplines to walk with God. But often what is neglected is emotional health. Now, why is emotional health important? Well, to love God... The expression of loving God is to love your neighbor as yourself. Where is the visible, tangible sign of loving God show up? Now, it shows up in relationships. Now, certainly it shows up, and when you read Scripture, it shows up in our obedience to God, but it shows up in how we relate to others. And here's the next dimension of that, to love your neighbors as you love yourself. Okay, so let's take it back another dimension from relationship to God, relationship to each other. How do you treat yourself? Well, how you treat yourself is going to reflect on how you love your neighbor, and how you love your neighbor is going to reflect on how you love God. It's all about relationships. And often within the church, we'll celebrate loving God, but you can be a jerk, and we won't address it. And see, the church should be both. We should be emotionally healthy and spiritually deep. See, if all we have are the spiritual disciplines, then we're not going to bring our heart into that relationship. We're not going to be present, present with God and present with others. So we need, along with the, the spiritual disciplines, we need emotional health. But see, if all we had is emotional health, then we're going to be unanchored. We're not going to be anchored in the truth. We're going to be driven by the spirit of the age. So we need both emotional health and we need the spiritual disciplines. Hey, three books. Are you guys ready to start showing stuff? Are we caught up? Of course, we're caught up. We're not caught up. Okay. I had some books I was going to show you, all sorts of great resources to help you get guided. So we're going to go straight to the Word. You're going to have to grab a Bible, folks. I'm sorry. Technology has ruined us, so you're going to need to grab a Bible, or you can turn on your phone. I think that still works right now. And we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. Because in Colossians 3, we look at what it means to be in communion with God, 
and specifically in communion with God through the Word of God? What role does Scripture play both in emotional health and in communion with God? So we're going to go to Colossians chapter 3. I can hear a lot of pages turning, so I'm giving you time. It's, it's in the New Testament, so, so it's on the back side. Colossians, General Electric Power Company. You following me? Have you never heard that? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. That's how I did it. That's, that's, I still do that. I still have to do that. That's how bad I am. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Hopefully we're ready. Okay. The word of God. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. Forgiving as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Wow, there it is. Let's pray. Fathers, we gather this morning in the imperfection of technology and lights. We're reminded of the simplicity of faith. That, Father, what we truly need is we need you. You are the light into the darkness. The gospel is the true power of God unto salvation for all who believe, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed from first to last. And so, Father, by faith, we take hold of the gospel, which is power, and it is light. And so, Father, illuminate us by your Spirit. Empower us through your word. And Father, transform us so that we might go out to the world to love God better. And as a result, to be, to be those that incarnate the love of Christ to those around us. So help us, Father, this morning we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so you guys ready? Three books, three resources I reread this week. The first is a book called The Common Rule. If you want a very practical book on habits of the faith, this is your practical book. The next one that's, that's also pretty practical is by John Mark Comer, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I'd put both of those on a very practical side, not theologically heavy. And in the middle, if you like a theologically heavy biblical book, The Habits of Grace by David Mathis. It's just some, some helpful resources. Hey, obviously, we live in a world that is broken by sin. We're in a, we live in a culture filled with bitterness, pride, impatience, anger, a cancel culture. And what we tend to find today is that people are lonelier than they've ever been. They're more anxious, more depressed than they've ever been. And a lot of studies are coming out right now uh, in the mental health realm about the impact that COVID has had 
on, on emotional and mental health. Psychology Today, there's a slide I want you to want to put up. Psychology Today, in November 1st of last year, 2021, they, they produced a survey. And in this survey, they went to 204 countries and territories from January to December of 2020. And here's what they discovered. I'm not sure how they figured this out, but they did. Anxiety in 2020 increased by 25.6%. Depression increased by 27.6%. Now, that seems astounding, and yet when you consider the factors that were at play during COVID, the way it messed up our relationships, kept us from building relationships with others, from seeing friends and family, the way it messed up our jobs, the way it brought in political realms and division, we can imagine how those, those rates began to increase. And yet the greater problem is not just simply what's happened in the year 2020 or 2019, it's really what's been happening since the early uh, 1990s. Here's a graph I want, want you to look at. Since the early 1990s, they started studying mental health. And since the 1990s until today, anxiety and depression have only increased. This is the state of the culture in which we live. And if it's the state of our culture, I'd have to assume there's a little anxiety and depression and loneliness in this room. There are those of you that struggle with fear, with hurt, with unforgiveness. There are relationships, whether marriages in this church, I'm assuming, that may be a little fractured. Areas where there needs to be improvements. There's relationships outside of the church and the workplace that need to be improved. And see, that's where we bring the spiritual disciplines together with emotional health. And God uses that in us to transform us, to live in a way that reflects who Jesus is and what he's done. Now, the challenge in our culture is most of the solutions, they encourage you to look within. Hey, find your true self. Just be yourself. Discover the truth within. Don't let anyone tell you who you are. Don't let anyone step on your truth. Just live your truth. Live your reality. Find the truth within. Find what works. And that's where the solution is found. And that may help people to some degree. However, what it does is it takes the ultimate solution out, which is God. Because Jesus came into the world. He, he had to come into the world to, to reveal the light of who God is. And often in our culture, what happens is we look within, but we don't look without. We don't have the truth of God. We don't have the community of God. We don't have the word of God. And so in this series, what I hope we can do is some, take some time to look at the solutions that God has provided and to do that in a way which brings both a deeper relationship with God and emotional health with each other. Because if we're honest, though, we have the Word of God today, and it's something that's pretty accessible. I don't know how many Bibles you have in your house. I've got quite a few. And actually, when they discontinued, you may not know this, they discontinued the 1984 NIV. Drove me nuts. Did you guys know about this problem? Huge problem. I memorized the 1984 NIV. I memorized books in there, and they got rid of it, so I had to buy like five. Anyways, that's my problem. It's not five of those Bibles because they were gone. We have so many Bibles, and yet how many of us really learn to walk through the Word? And even within the church, though we have the Word of God, we look more like the world than like the Word. Now, there are those churches that simply reject Scripture and they may live contrary to the word of God. And there, there are those that are very orthodox within the church. And we hold to the foundational teachings of the faith. But we don't address bitterness. 
We don't address unforgiveness. We don't expect people to change. We put up with blame and frustration and hatred. We kind of allow these other emotions to just sit alongside the word of Christ as if God doesn't care about them. And see, God wants to address not just our minds, but he also wants to address our hearts and our souls. And see, one of the challenges that was happening in the church in Colossae was they were being influenced by false teachers. There was an early form of Gnosticism that came in, some mysticism that led them away from the truth of God and led them to look within themselves. And what Paul addresses in Colossians chapter 3 is what the church should look like and what it should be fueled by. That as we go back to this text, and I want you to look back at Colossians 3, we're going to look at verses 12 through 17. And in verses 12 through 15, we get a picture of what the church should look like. Now, it's aspirational. We recognize that we are broken and sinful, so we're not always going to walk this way. But what he does is he lays out a vision, a picture of what the church should look like when it puts on the clothes of Christ. That if you looked at the life of Jesus, it would look a lot like verses 12 through 15. And the question becomes, as we read it again, what drives that kind of life? Patience, humility, kindness, forbearing, which means accepting one another, forgiving just as God forgave. I'm sure all of you are doing that well, right? You're ticking those off. Yep, humility, I got that. I got kindness. I got all those qualities. What drives it? It's verse 16. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's the engine that fuels patience, that fuels humility. Now, we're going to discover in a moment why. And at the end of verse 16 and 17, he gives you three more anchors to encourage the word to dwell in, which is to teach and admonish, have Christ-centered teaching, to sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs, sing about Jesus, and then give thanks to God the Father in all of life. That when you go to work, acknowledge him. When you're cleaning up the dog's mess, acknowledge him. When the dishes are dirty again, acknowledge him. God, thank you for this house. Thank you for my kids. Thank you for my broken down car. Thank you that the electricity doesn't work. Now, I didn't do that this morning. I have to to confess that. But he's saying live a life of gratitude. And what happens when we sing songs and hymns, when we teach, when we admonish, when we live in gratitude, we're allowing the word of Christ to dwell to dwell in us. So let's jump back into this passage and pick it up in verse 12 and get a vision, a picture of what this counter community, this cultural counter community looks like in the church. Verse 12, and then put on, notice as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. So that's your identity. As you move towards the word, realize you're coming towards that word and God sees you as holy already. Now he knows you're not holy. But he sees you as clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That's your authority as a believer to come into God's presence boldly like a child does, asking for his needs or her needs to be met. You are holy in God's sight. And then recognize you're already loved. You're loved. Just like a kid. What does a kid do at two in the morning? Does he question when the thunder goes off and the lights are out? What does a child do? Runs into your room, assuming I'm going to be loved I'm going to be cherished. I'm going to be heard, and my needs are going to be met. That's the way, adults, we're supposed to come to the word of God. God sees us as acceptable, and as we come to him, we run in with our needs saying, Lord, I need you, and he says, I know. I'm glad you finally showed up. You were loved. Holy, dearly loved. That's your identity. And see, out of that identity, what we're to do is to put on, 
to put on. And if you could put that next image up there and notice some of the lists. As God's holy and beloved people, we are to put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forbearing, which means to accept people where they are, forgiving one another. And what binds these all together? And it's interesting in the Greek, it doesn't say what binds these all together is love, though that's what the translation says. What it says is what binds them all together is the love. There's a definite article, which is pointing to the love of Christ, not your love, not your your ability to love, but the love of Christ, that's what holds all of these things together and allows us to forbear, allows us to forgive. Now, here's the question. Where do we see this kind of community in our culture? We rarely see it in the church. Can we be honest? I mean, if we had to grade ourselves, how are we doing on kindness? It's gone. I know it's not up there. I'm pointing to it. Humility. How are we doing? We're not doing well on those. But I can promise you, I've never seen a social media post filled with humility, compassion, forgiveness, forbearing. I've never turned on Fox News or CNN and found humility, compassion, forbearing. Are you guys following me? You're not going to find those things in the places within our culture that we tend to go. And could it be we're being fueled more by the world than by the love of Christ. And that's why there's not compassion, humility, tenderheartedness, forbearing, forgiving, because what's dwelling in us isn't from Christ. It's just from us. And then what we do is we go through our day and we allow frustration to fuel us. Instead of bowing first thing in the morning, one of the first things you can do when you get out of bed, get on your knees. Hey, 10 seconds, that's all it takes. Lord, I am in submission to you today. Go, go take a shower. At noon, get on your knees. Lord, I am in submission to you today. Before you go to bed, Lord, I made a mess of it. I know. But I am in submission to you tonight as I go to bed. Just acknowledging who God is and who you are as a holy and dearly loved child. I love how the message captures Colossians 3, 12 through 14. If you guys will put that up, there it is. So chosen by God for this new life of love. Notice what they say, dress, put on, dress in the wardrobe God has picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline. Be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and as completely as the master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, What else you wear, wear love. It is your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it. That's a beautiful community. Hey, man, that's the kind of church, there won't be any empty seats because everyone will flock to be a part of that. So the question is, what fuels that kind of community? That's hard. It's hard to do on natural strength, energy. It's hard to do in a marriage. It's hard to do in relationships. It's hard to do in the church. So what fuels that? And see, that's where verse 16 comes in. As he paints this picture of this church and how they're supposed to live, the next command is let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, if we had some time in Ephesians chapter 5, if you went to 5.18, you can do that if you want to. I won't be upset. But Ephesians 5.18, you're going to find a parallel passage to Colossians 3.16. 
Ephesians 5.18, it says, do not be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And then what comes out of that is singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs in your heart, giving thanks to God. Now, if you look at Colossians 3.16, here's what it says. Colossians 3.16 says, let, let, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another and all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs with thankfulness to God in your heart. The call is to allow the word of God, which means the spirit of God, to dwell in us. That in the New Testament, Holy Spirit, word of God, they're used as synonyms. That when you get the word of God in you, you're activating the spirit of God that's within you. Because sometimes I read scripture and I'm like, eh, nothing happened. Yeah, something's at work within you. You are feeding just like you feed your body when you get the word of God in front of you. And the more you begin to take that in, it is activating, is working on the spirit of God. And that spirit of God is beginning to use the word of God to change you. But the question is, how is it going to get in unless we turn off the news? How is it going to get in unless we turn off the radio? Unless we shut off social media? Unless we, can I say it, get rid of these things? Is that sacrilegious? This thing, and we're going to actually do a sermon on this, is driving your life. The research, I love it too. Listen, my phone. (laughs) Don't don't you take my Clash of Clans and my my games and my apps, my Strava. Let everybody know how fast and slow I am. It matters to me, but it's your habits, church, are driving your life, not your desires, not your aspirations. Your habits are are forming you into the person you are right now. You are a collection of the habits that you have put forth in your life. And if you want to change, you have to start changing your habits. You have to start changing routinely what you're doing. And what Paul's saying is the place we have to begin is by letting the word of Christ dwell within us. Now this word, word of Christ, what does that mean? It's the only place in the New Testament where Paul uses that phrase and I think it's the words about Christ. In chapter four, it actually talks about the word, meaning the mystery of Christ. And so when he says the word of Christ, he's referring to words about Christ. Now that can include the entire Old and New Testament because all the Bible really is pointing to Jesus. When In Luke chapter 24, when Jesus was walking along the road with these disciples, he kind of opened up the scripture and how he showed everything was about him. So it's referring to the word of God. We have to allow the word to get in us, but then this word dwell, and if you guys want to throw that image up, that next slide, what does the word dwell mean? And it comes from the Greek word enkoieo, and it's two words kind of smashed together. One's a preposition, en, which means in or by or with, and koieo means household. It comes from a a Greek word means oikos, which means your home, your, your household. And it literally means to let Scripture dwell and live within you. The message captures it this way. It says, let the word of Christ have the run of your house. The Amplified Version says, let the word of Christ have its home within you. How do you live in your home? Think about this. Four years ago, we bought a home in Evergreen. Blessed to actually do that and accomplish that four years ago. If you're looking for a home, I'm sorry. We'll pray for you. 
And when we bought that home, the way that the people who lived in it before us decorated it is very different from the way where they had their television, we have our kitchen table. Kind of different set of priorities. What they colored blue, we colored, I don't know, brown. And everything began to change. And four years into that home, our values, our priorities, what we like and dislike, it's showing up in that home. That over time, our home is beginning to be changed by those who dwell in it. And see, that's what it's describing with Scripture. The more that Scripture dwells in us, which means we have to meditate on it, we have to study it, we have to think about it, we got to talk about it, you've got to get those rhythms in place. But as it gets in there, it's got to start changing you, which means when you are stressed like I was this morning, I need to be reminded, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. I didn't do it this morning, I'm telling you. But I'm doing it now. Present your request to God and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then you gotta remind yourself, hey, Jason, listen, the peace that God gave you, it's not like the world gives. It's not like the world gives. So do not let your hearts be troubled. Do, trust in God, trust also in me. We have to have that word in us. And then we gotta remind ourselves so that it can dwell in us. And then when we make mistakes, listen, you still go back to it. It's not too late. You constantly go back to it because, see, we want that word to dwell in us, to make its home in us, to reside in us. Paul Tripp, in his book, A Dangerous Calling, captured what it means for the word of God to dwell in us like this, and I quote, when the word of God faithfully taught by the people of God and empowered by the spirit of God falls down, people become different. Lusting people become pure. Fearful people become courageous. Thieves become givers. Demanding people become servants. Angry people become peacemakers. Complainers become thankful. And idolaters become, come to a joyful worship of the one true God. The ultimate purpose of the word of God is not theological information, but heart and life transformation. So we are transformed through the renewing of our minds but we're transformed into a relationship with God through the renewing of our minds. The purpose of scripture is to change us. Pastor H.B. Charles, he captured it this way. He said, and I quote, it is the will of God to have the spirit of God use the word of God to make the children of God look like the son of God. That's a lot of gods. It is the will of God to have the spirit of God use the word of God to make the children of God look like the son of God. That's what it means to have the word of God dwell within us. So how do we do this just quickly? In verse 16 and 17, he kind of captures on three things that we need to keep in front of us. One, teaching and admonishing. You're gonna talk about what you love. And guess what? You're gonna sing about it too. Did you notice singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs in your heart? Why is teaching and admonishing singing? Some of you need to write poetry. Some of you need to paint pictures to glorify God. Some of you need to work and design. But see, teaching, admonishing, and singing songs and hymns, and then giving thanks to God our Father, all of that keeps the word of God central in our lives. So how are we going to do that in an age of distraction? I want to give you two suggestions on how we do this. And I don't know if you're going to like the first one. I didn't like it either. It comes from the book, The Common Rule. And I was reading it this week. Incredibly helpful. There's some excellent videos that he produces. And one of the things he says is a habit that if you start to implement into your life, it'll begin to change. Uh, Oh, look, it's already up there. Okay. 
uh, it'll begin to change what you do. And the first habit is scripture before phone. What is the last thing you look at at night? What is the first thing you pick up in the morning? And when you pick it up, social media, news, texts, work emails. When you wake up in the morning, your soul is asking the question, where does my identity come from? Well, if I get this done, my boss is going to be happy. And what happens? Grab that phone. I got to get to my computer. I got to respond. They need me. And you start finding your identity is in productivity. You pick up your phone and somebody's posted on social media their great vacation in the Caribbean with their beautiful children, perfectly appointed husband. Everybody is happy. I'm sure that was the only picture they took, right? No filters on it. They're just looking great. And what does that say to your soul? If I only had this, if I only look like that, if I can only run this fast, my kids were only that well behaved, I'm sure they have no arguments or disagreements in that family in that moment. And social media starts to say, if I look like this, if I have this, then I'm gonna be okay. Or you pick up your phone and you see that news report, breaking news, alert, alert. News is saying, smart people know this. These are the people you need to be angry with. These are the problems you can't change but are really important for you to meditate on throughout the day. Here's who's ruining your country. And what does your heart do? It gravitates towards it. And so you leave the house and you're anxious, right? Somebody cuts you off, you're angry. You, you fly off in a rage. You don't realize you're hurt. And so you take it out on the people who are around you. When you do not have emotional health, when you do not have awareness, when you do not go to the thing that dwells in us that brings peace, you're gonna dwell in something. Church, what are you dwelling in? And listen, this thing, people make millions of dollars to create apps. They're good at it. It's why you have to go back. Those news outlets, social media, emails, all of it is compelling. And there are some of you in here that design those things. And you know the kind of energy that is put into it. And if you go to this first, it is going to capture your gaze. And if it captures your gaze, it's going to drive your heart and your habits. Put scripture before your your phone. And if you use this to wake up in the morning, there's a thing called an alarm clock. And it'll wake you up. And just get one of these, these, these Bibles, and open it up. And even if it's just a verse, listen, if it's just a verse, and you kneel by your bed, Lord, I surrender myself to you. Do not be anxious about anything, but in anything by prayer and supplication, thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then you get in the shower. God, I want to do that today. I want to honor you. Th that's a start. Put scripture before phone. And then second, here's the second application. Uh-oh. <laughs> Lord, help me. One hour of Christ. If you guys want to put that up on the screen while I humbly pick up my papers. One hour of Christ-centered conversation with a friend per week. Now, this may not be what you think you need when it comes to scripture, but it is. One hour of Christ-centered conversation with someone who loves you a week. We think we can do the word of God without community. It doesn't work. And when you meet with someone each week, just for one hour, and I'm only asking for one hour of your week, once a week, 
just simply to talk about, and, and you may never get to scripture, it's okay. Just to say, hey, where are you? Hey, listen, I know about your kids and I know about all this and I know about this and I know about work, but listen, listen, I love you. Where the heck are you? How are you doing? And sometimes, it, you know, when they ask that, you're going, what? Someone asked me this week, Jason, what do you need? Uh, what? To just simply stop and reflect. Someone that loves you enough to ask, where are you? How are you doing? What's going on in your life? And then someone that, that, and it may not happen every single week, but leads you back to Christ. That's essential to fuel a life in the word of God. It's just one hour. So, so this week, two things we could do. When you get out of bed, just acknowledge him. If you can kneel on the floor, it's the best, best place to start. And instead of grabbing your phone, grab scripture. And then try to find one hour a week where you can have a spiritual conversation with someone that loves you, cares about you. Hey, as we conclude the service this morning, we're gonna celebrate communion together. The reason we do this every week is to rehearse the gospel. If you didn't have a chance to grab the elements as you came in, I wanna give you that opportunity to grab the communion elements. They're available in the back and also up front. And as we take them, can we just acknowledge this morning, you know, and and maybe even ask the Spirit of God, say, you know, Lord, what is it that's dwelling in me? You know, what am I dwelling in? Is it in in my work? Is it in what's not done? Social media, relationships. Is it in what's wrong with my country? What's wrong in the news? What's wrong in my neighborhood? Father, what am I dwelling in? Something's dwelling in you. And then by repentance and faith, we just acknowledge, Father, I want, I want your word to dwell in me richly. I'm struggling with that. You can, you can say that. He gets it. He already knows where you are. Father, I'm struggling with that. I don't know how to do that. I need help with that. And it's just simply this morning to acknowledge, Father, here's where I am. Here's what I'm feeling. Here's what I'm going through. And I want to look to you. I want to look to your broken body, which has made me whole, your shed blood, which has covered my my brokenness, my nakedness, which has given me forgiveness and restoration. Let's take a few moments in silent prayer and just allow our hearts to, to connect with the Father, to commune with the Father, and hear what the Spirit of God may say. Father, show us if in us there is discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, fractions, and envy, drunkenness and the like. May it be replaced with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control.
On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. He broke it and gave thanks, and he said, take and eat for this. This is my body, which is broken for you. Let us receive it together in remembrance of him. And in the same way, after supper, he took a cup. This cup, it represents the new covenant, the relationship that is established in my blood. Let us receive it together. 